All right, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast, and we are doing something very fun, something we haven't done in quite a while, and that is we're having an interview episode with my pastor, Josh Henson. Uh, Josh has been on the show a few times, but I think this is the first video that we have attempted. Um, So previous episodes, we talked about um, the doctrine of God. We also talked about how uh, the New Covenant and the Old Covenant uh, relate to one another, and both of those have been very popular episodes, and pretty much what I'm finding out is any episode that features somebody besides just me does pretty well. And so we are bringing him now, not only um, in audio, but also video format uh, for your uh, listening and watching pleasure. And Josh is here to talk with us about the Gospel of John. So you see the episode title is 16 Months with the Gospel of John. And the reason for that is because uh, the last time we were together on a regular episode, we talked about the four Gospels and their uniqueness. But Josh has spent uh, upwards of the last 16 months, maybe even more, uh, depending on uh, sermon prep and whatnot, preaching through, verse by verse, the entire Gospel of John. And so he is a prime candidate uh, in the context of the church and also uh, on a personal level um, to talk to us about the uniqueness of John's gospel and uh, maybe kind of recap some of his experience uh, dealing with the book a a considerable amount. And so first and foremost, Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Uh, It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah. And and here we are, by the way, in his office. And so, uh, what you can't see on the other side of all these cameras is all the all the mayhem that I have going on in here, totally trashing his his workspace. Uh, but very thankful to be able to use it. A little bit better backdrop than than my office upstairs, and definitely uh, more comfortable as well. Uh, so, Josh, really, um, I just wanted to work through a few a few questions um, that I think would be helpful. And um, I can also respond somewhat because since I go to this church and have been on the receiving end of all of your sermons and study uh, from the Gospel of John, we can interact maybe a little bit uh, uh, constructively about uh, what this Gospel has has meant to us over the last uh, handful of months. Uh, But first and foremost, I think maybe a good question to start off is, why commit to studying or even preaching through the Gospel of John? So why? Uh, if you were to make an argument or make a case for the uniqueness of John's gospel uh, over against the other three, like what would you what would you say? How would you try to frame that? Yeah, so I guess you could think of that from two different perspectives. Um, whether at the personal level in in committing to study yourself uh, or in preaching, um, it is our our practice. Normally, we don't always. Uh, uh, do this. Uh, for instance, right now we're in a, in a series, in the middle of a, of a shorter series that's more topical. But uh, after we finish John, but as you said, we spent 16 months in John's Gospel, and so our um, the normal diet, the typical diet, is uh, that the congregation will receive God's Word as it is written um, entirely in in books. So we preach through books of the Bible, uh, but when it comes to to John, um, there are a couple of, of very uh, not so sanctified personal reasons, I guess you could say. On the one hand, um, I've preached through Matthew's gospel before, and 
uh, did that when we were in Georgia. And then uh, when I, I came here t- to Jacksonville, to Ortega, uh, as an intern, they, they just started uh, a series in, in Mark's Gospel. And so um, I, I kind of joined the, the team and was, uh, was on the rotation of pastors preaching. And so uh, Luke and John are the, kind of the only ones that were left, I guess. Um, but no, in a, in a more serious note, there's a, uh, uh, the others are known as the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which, has, um, which means um, same view or, or same facing. So though there are differences, of course, in those accounts, and we get different perspectives and we're viewing Christ and his ministry and his personal work from different angles, um, they, they sound a lot more alike than, say, John does. So, Matthew begins with Jesus' birth, so does Luke. John begins, or Mark begins with Jesus' ministry uh, around John the Baptist and that, that time. Uh, but John takes us sort of back behind the curtain, and we go, we go back um, even, even uh, further into eternity past. We're introduced to this concept of the Logos, the Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, and uh, it is in Him, the second person, uh, the second person of the Trinity who became flesh. So, um, so right from the outset, we we start uh, differently. There's a, there's a bit of a different um, approach that that John takes than the others. Um, John is a, a fascinating gospel because you know you have the kind of hallmark verses uh, such as like John three sixteen or the I am statements of Jesus. And it's one of those books that um, you have somebody that, like yourself, this this wasn't your first time interacting with the book. Uh, this this is you know coming from years of study as a Christian, uh, even prior to deciding to preach through it, that you've at least been exposed to it. And of course, growing up in church, like I know you have, uh, you're hearing passages from John, like kind of all throughout the course of your life, and yet. Even though John writes uh, in this kind of simplistic way, I think it's typically one of the books that people will recommend to like new believers. Like mm-hmm. I think John is almost always the go-to book. Um, but you said something towards the beginning that I thought was like really neat, the way that you uh, described it. I don't remember if it was a quote from somebody or what, but you were talking about uh, the, the waters uh, where you have different things happening or do you remember that analogy that you made? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, certainly wasn't original <laughs> with me. I don't know where I heard it. Um, but, uh, uh, probably in one of the, the commentaries or, uh, but it's, it's sort of viewing John as, um, as a pool of water or, or a body of water. And you might go to the edges and find, uh, children splashing in the shallows. They, they're playing there. Uh, but if you go out a little further, you might find elephants swimming in the depths. And uh, when we think of John, like you said, it is um, it, it, the the metaphors are very simple: uh, light and darkness. Uh, there's a lot of talk about father and son when it comes to, to Christ. We understand those analogies, those relationships. Um, and there are there are so many. Um, and Jesus uses uh, uh, himself as the bread of life, the good shepherd. Uh, those are very simple concepts, but and also we have the verses that so many people know. I mean, John John three sixteen is uh, sort of the the gospel in uh, in a nutshell. You could um, you share the gospel with 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 that verse, 
uh, alone. So um, there, there are so many places that we are familiar with. Even the the Greek is um, it, compared to other books of the Bible is is simple. So if you if you start a Greek class at, at seminary or Bible college, they'll have you start with um, usually John's letters or uh, or maybe even move into John's uh, Gospel. Um, or as my son, eleven year old son, refers to it as, he read First John, Second John, Third John in his reading. And then he said, and then, Dad, I read Normal John, too. So, uh, so Normal John, along with uh, the three letters of John, uh, the language is, is easier um, when it comes to com- comparing it with the other, uh, uh, the other uh, uh, New Testament authors. But at the same time, you, you find that um, those are maybe the shallows that we're familiar with. But it's not long before you realize we're we're really in over our heads <laughs> as as this this concept of the logos comes in. It's it's the yeah, word like the first who was paragraph. made flat, uh, flesh. <laughs> yeah, the the prologue it, it, immediately. It, you you go right into the uh, the deep end. So yeah, don't people also say like Luke is among like the hardest of the New Testament writings in terms of the Greek? Yeah. So Luke, Acts, um, Hebrews is another is a, well. Uh, a lot of people think you have like Paul's theology, but a very sophisticated uh, writer. Um, that uh, is one of the reasons why a lot of people think Luke may have written the book of Hebrews. Um, so John, yeah, he, he's certainly going to be uh, easier uh, to under, understand. It's, um, and not that's, that, that's why you picked it because Luke was the hard Greek and John was the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Greek. That's that's it because uh, <laughs> I, I need all the help I can get. Um, okay, so we talked about uh, kind of the the overall appreciation for John, kind of maybe if we want to say at a ground level view, also kind of an aerial shot of what's going on, and now maybe move into more of a, a personal or reflective uh, question of what seems to be the biggest impression that John has left on you after these 16, 17 months of, of study. Particularly, I'm thinking somebody that's already well acquainted with the gospel. Maybe what's something that came out uh, out of this gospel that was really uh, helpful on a personal level, or mm-hmm. or maybe even as a, as a pastor looking at the congregation, you could maybe touch on that uh, also. Yeah, um, it, it's always uh, it's always profitable to make our way. Uh, Verse by verse, or or section by section, we we sort of um, different areas you approach differently. We did that with John. Um, some of the areas we took bigger chunks, and others we slowed down a bit. Um, but it's always profitable to make our way through a book of the Bible, um, and um, and to slow down, take our time in it. The uh, the congregation, uh, the feedback that I received. Uh, certainly was was profitable for the church and i know it was for me personally in my my own study and i, I try to uh emphasize that in uh prayers and and sometimes uh explicitly uh just to remind myself primarily but all of us that though the the pastor isn't sitting in the congregation um on the lord's day morning we we all sit under the same ministry of the word together he he may receive it first in his study and preparation and then all of us, as as it's uh, as the sermon is delivered, um, but I, I think there are uh, about four th- 
four things that um that kind of came out of of the study that I, I've taken away that I've taken away uh, from it, and some of them are uh, probably more fresh than others, and I may you know forget about them, but it, it is fresh on the mind. Um, but uh, right off the bat, as we mentioned earlier, just how John takes us off into the deep end as we consider who uh, who this is, who the Word is, um, the Word who was made flesh, and Early on, um, thinking about uh, the language John uses with our uh, developed doctrine from Scripture of the Trinity throughout church history. So, in our creeds and confessions, the early creeds of the of the of the undivided church, um, the heresies they were dealing with, where they had to be very uh, specific and careful in their language and precise. And yet, you look at John. Um, and the things he says about Christ, um, who is submitting to his father, who says things like, my father is greater than I, and then also declares the equality of the eternal son with the father. And so there's careful distinctions between um, who this is as the eternal son of God, uh, as co-equal in, in power and glory with the father. Um, and also the um, the distinction between that and who he is in the person of Christ as the God-man. The language of our creeds and confessions, um, how careful they they are, I think is really. I, I guess it's 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 uh, it's comforting to um, to consider that the language um, and, and the themes and what what the the sort of uh, boundaries they were trying to stay within that you see that in John. Yeah. You know, so yeah. um, you really see that they were trying to develop it, not just philosophically, not just using these, uh, the, these terms that uh, we, we, we wonder why they, you know, why, why would we use these certain terms to talk about God? And they were, they were grasping for things uh, to explain the unexplainable, the incomprehensible. Um, but just to, to see that, uh, that it really is reflective of of uh, what scripture and what John in particular says about about who Christ is. Yeah, that, that's a great point because people, you know, we just talked about uh, the systematic theology study that we're getting ready to do on Teaching Thursdays, and you know, part of systematic theology is a cro- closely related uh, kind of formal expression of that are the statements of faith and confessions that come throughout church history. And a lot of people that are skeptical of those kind of things will say something like, well, they're just over there pondering philosophical speculation. Uh, whereas, like, the point you just made, really what you see is, uh, of course, I can't speak for every, you know, church's statement of faith, but at least uh, in our tradition, like the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter and Larger Catechisms, the Presbyterian heritage that we uh, belong to, and what they're doing is they're they're being biblical, right? Because they're they're taking their cue uh, from John. They're going and trying to follow that same trajectory, that nuanced uh, explanation of exactly what John demonstrates in in a book that, on the one hand, is so simple but yet so profound at the same time. Yeah. It's an important point to think about. Yeah, there uh, uh, there are some other other things that I've kind of held on to. 
um, that have just kind of stood out as well. Um, I mean, that was one right off the bat, you know, because you just you enter into that immediately. With in the beginning was the word and, and dealing with what what that means. Um, and there are so many that we could point to. I mean, the the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus as the giver of the Spirit throughout John, um, his the I am statements, the seven I am statements, the, the way it, the book is divided into that really the um, uh, sort of the the seven statements, but also you could organize it around um, these seven great miracles that he did. Um, so, but I won't. I mean, there's just there's so much I won't go into that. The the others, um, the other themes I think would be. One that surprised me, I think, um, which may not seem so surprising, but maybe, and it wasn't surprising that it was a theme, but the emphasis that was just repetitive over and over again was Jesus's um, point that he was the one sent from the Father. And so, as he's dealing with his opponents again and again and again and again, he is um, basing his authority on the fact that the Father sent him. uh, And that's why you should listen to him. He's he's the one who uh, who's been commissioned by the Father for this work, um, and, and I th- and and that theme uh, is is seen also in in how that's his purpose, um, and that unwaveringly he's committed to fulfilling to doing the Father's will to accomplishing the mission the Father give, has given him, and and that's something that is is known, but uh, just uh, I, I didn't realize how explicitly repetitive that theme was that he would continue to go back to. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we, when we talk about in our tradition, the appreciation of Christ's threefold office as prophet, priest, and king, um, typically people will associate the gospel of John with that, uh, king concept, like my kingdom is not of this world Mm -hmm. and those kind of things. Uh, but yet, at the same time, I think that John is almost uh, making the strongest case for Jesus' ministry as the great prophet, because you have, in the beginning, right, you have the questions, is this the prophet who is to come? Is this the uh, fulfillment of Moses' earlier prediction that there's going to be a prophet to come who's going to uh, far exceed me, and, and that, those kind of things, and you know, Jesus is not just a man who comes with a word from God. He is the word in the ultimate sense. Um, and he's taking uh, his his ministry as one of uh, revealing the Father. And so there's this kind of heavy emphasis on his ministry as as the great prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not in the sense where we would uh, you know say what uh, Muslims and other people say that, yeah, well, yeah, he's a prophet. He's just a false prophet, right? Or he's just a man. Uh, you certainly don't see that. But uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't emphasize, uh, in in the human terms, uh, Jesus as the incarnation, that he is uh, the great prophet. Yeah. Yeah, and all those, the offices of Christ are seen there as, uh, and from the beginning, as as prophets are asking, is is this the, the prophet who should come into the world? Um, in his preaching ministry, and then his, his priestly ministries, he's interceding um, on behalf of them, especially in that well-known prayer in chapter 17. Um, and also, of course, his uh, kingly ministry, as he is um, understood to be king in chapter 6, but they're, they're kind of wanting to, uh, 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 <laughs> I don't know what, what to call it, but a, they're wanting a handout, you know, a king who's going to uh, continue to feed them 
they, they fed them the, the, the loaves and fishes yesterday, but now it's breakfast time, and you know where where's our next meal? What have you done for me lately? They they sort of ask. Um, they they want him to be king. They're trying to make him king, and he uh, he he moves away from them. But uh, but ultimately, he tells Pilate he is a, a, a king. That his his kingdom is not of this world, and he goes um, as as the faithful king who gives his life for his people, sort of enthroned on a. Uh, a bloody, th- a, a, a bloody throne, you know, on the cross. Um, so yeah, those those themes are are certainly there. The uh, the one that became really um, special, I guess, is as we we started kind of slowing down. Um, as a, as a kind of a third theme was was um, we got towards the end of the book, we started slowing down a bit and. Uh, so we took some of those narrative sections, like in John six, the bread of life, um, trying not to miss the forest for the trees. But and most people will divide John's gospel into two parts: the first uh, eleven or twelve chapters, his public ministry, that takes that covers a, a, a few years, and then really the last half, outside of the post-resurrection uh, appearances, uh, the last half of the book covers one week of his life, the Passion Week, um, and and really focuses on one night and mm. that is with his disciples so he is sought uh by the uh the jewish authorities they're they're serious about arresting him so he removes himself from the public eye and uh there he spends the evening uh with his disciples in the upper room ministering to them teaching them preparing them for what is to come um and john opens that section by saying in chapter 13 that Jesus loved his disciples, he loved them to the end, and then he shows you how. And when I am, um, and here he is with the prospect of going to the cross, um, Judas is going to betray him, uh, Peter's going to deny him, the whole, all the disciples are going to be scattered, he's going to suffer the wrath of God on the cross, and, and yet um, um, his focus is to continue to teach and to minister, he takes up the towel to wash their feet, to serve them, and so he's demonstrating what the I, I it's it's un in, incomprehensible to me because I know what little bit of stress I, I might face um, and how that will um, will cause me to become uh, to have sort of tunnel vision and uh, to to want to isolate and uh, I, I can't. I can only think about the thing, you know, whatever it is that the problem that needs to be solved, or uh, and and I rarely can focus outside of that um, to to on my, my uh, wife or children or church or you know those that I'm, I'm called to serve. And here Christ is with this uh, unbelievable, unimaginable suffering that, that's coming, and and his focus remains on them, serving them, teaching them, but uh, of course. It, it all goes back to fulfilling the Father's will. He's going to mm-hmm. complete this mission, but that mission involved giving his life for the disciples. So that was the whole the whole point yeah. was giving himself for them. So that was that was a real a real uh, a special one that, that really um, uh, that really stuck out. And you see, as Jesus when he appears to them, just his his continued love for his disciples. When he offered, and Thomas says, "Yeah, I'm not going to believe unless I put my." hands in his side and his wounds and Jesus appears and he's like, okay, here they are. Like, uh, go ahead and put your hand here. Uh, 
uh, that's what you that's what you need. I mean, his his patience with them is uh, um, as well as Peter when he sort of recreates the scene uh, around the the fire, the charcoal fire twice. I think I think it's only I know it's only twice in John's Gospel. I think it's twice in the whole New Testament that this term for like a, a charcoal fire is used. The first instance is when Peter was warming, warming himself with those officials who had arrested Jesus, and there he denies in front of the, the, the servant girl that he knew Christ. The second time it's mentioned is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is cooking fish for them on the shore, and that's the context in which Jesus asked Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? Um, and he gently, uh, you know, he, he, he re- it's a grievous reminder, he's calling him back to that, but he he recommissions him and and uh, uh, gently places him back into service. So his 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 love is is unfailing. He, he loved him to the end, and it's a great um, yes. It's just a great picture of of Christ's love for, for disciples like us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can say from the from the perspective of being part of the congregation that um, I benefited greatly from the gospel, and some of it is in a surprising way because. You know, we are in the middle of a, a tradition that, that has a high view for expositional preaching, and as, as you said at the beginning, uh, preaching through books of the Bible and seeing the great benefit of, of feasting through the whole context of a particular book instead of just maybe the highlight reel or the easier passages to preach on. Uh, and yet, um, people will often be skeptical of that format of preaching through an entire book because they'll say, well, you know, you're, you're setting up a stumbling block to what the Holy Spirit might want to do in a church because, uh, you're being too legalistic or you're following too close, like maybe some kind of a a pattern or something like that. But I mean, I can say, um, from my perspective, it was great because, even when you have regulated uh, expectations of what you're going to be preaching on from one week to the next, um, it doesn't mean in any sense that you're going to stop the Lord from doing His work. I mean, if anything, you're more um, uh, you're, you take take that into more consideration. Uh, uh, you're more um, on key for expecting uh, the Lord's blessing because you're trying not to leave any stone unturned with what he's given us in, in the Bible. And it's, it always works out this way. Even when you're committed to preaching through a book of the Bible, that it's going to inevitably cross over, uh, providentially in the, the work of, of God into your life, into certain circumstances. Like for me, since this was 16 months, like, you know, you're talking almost a year and a half. So because I'm taking classes, uh, for my undergraduate right now, um, that's a handful of classes that I worked through during that whole time frame mm-hmm. uh, that we were going through John. And, you know, one class was on the Trinity. Well, in God's providence, that was right around the time that we were going through the upper room discourse. So everything that Jesus has to say about the Son and the Father and the, and the ministry of the Spirit, like that's all fresh on my mind, so I'm I'm getting overlap in in my school world, and then with this or like teaching Thursdays, we just finished working through uh, the whole book of First Peter, and First Peter is so much you can see a lot of his reflection on his time with Jesus, 
and you can see, especially in First Peter chapter five, you can see that so much of what he's saying there is Peter's conclusion to what Jesus says to him in the Garden of Gethsemane about staying watchful to mm-hmm. the devil mm-hmm. who um, prowls around like a roaring lion, and the the benefit of prayer, and also uh, of the what it means to uh, to love the Lord and to. Uh, shepherd the flock because mm-hmm. Jesus is the is the the chief shepherd. So much of this you can see is coming right out of his interaction with Jesus there on the shore when he restores him, and so it's so cool to see that kind of overlap uh, between the books of the Bible. And of course, like uh, many of you watched uh, that that sermon that I shared because my my last class that I was just doing uh, was focused on First John. And you can see John writing in First John. You can see a lot of his uh, content is coming straight out of that upper room discourse. So it's so cool to see, even when we're involved with uh, school or maybe personal studies, the way that the Lord will take even uh, what some people might deem a, a regulated uh, sermon series instead mm-hmm. of just like, like being open to the Lord, you know, one <laughs> week at a time. Uh, that that God certainly does work through and minister to us individually because uh you know breaking news he's god and he knows <laughs> he knows how to how to work uh, uniquely in our lives uh through a particular book of the bible and so like for me just as a member of the congregation i was really uh benefited by uh the way that there was so much overlap in my own life yeah uh, go ahead that's good i i uh it is it is remarkable at times how the lord will um providentially use those uh things in, in very timely timely ways that may have been unintended um so there is can i give you one more yeah, yeah. uh this one is definitely uh it's kind of a i'll be short here but it's kind of a, a way to book in the um the beginning yeah the beginning of and end of the, of the gospels and it certainly is fresh in my mind because it was the last sermon um in the last verse of, of John, he says, John says, there are many other things that Jesus did. Um, and uh, these are things that were not recorded. And he says, I, I suppose that if, uh, if, the, uh, if they were all written down, the world couldn't contain them. And that's, uh, that verse has always kind of puzzled me. Um, but I, I don't, th- what I came away with is I don't think... Um, Jesus, or that John meant to tell us that spatially speaking, in this, in the, all of creation, that um, there would not be enough um, room to contain the books. You know, that if it was written, if these things were written down, uh, he's intentionally using hyperbole, mm. e- exaggeration here, um, but not as we typically think of exaggeration as to tell us something untrue or to stretch the truth. But his intention actually is to tell us something that is true. He's saying there's there's more to be said here than what I've said. And if you take that all the way back to the beginning, and we try to wrap our minds around the eternal Word of God, the the eternal Son who became flesh in, in the incarnation, um, that is more than we could ever get get our minds around. And so there is there is more to the person and work of Christ than John can give us, which which is an encouragement to go further. Mm-hmm. Um, we could turn right around and go, and and I could preach through John's gospel again, and we we'd see things that we we, we didn't see the first time. There would be 
Uh, I'm sure there'd be a lot of similarities, of course, but um, and a lot of repetition, but um, there would be a- applications and insights that um, that we didn't hit the first uh, the first time around. But it's also a a comfort in what is written. It's it brings us back to the sufficiency of Scripture. Because John says something similar at the end of chapter 20, where he says that um, uh, many other things, Jesus did many other things, but these things are written uh, so that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So John was selective in his material, and there's, though there is more to discover, there's more uh, to be known about him. He is, Christ is inexhaustible. Um, this particular, these things were written down so that we might read them, so that we might study them, so that we might, um, in in doing so, might believe. And so, uh, they are sufficient Mm -hmm. for for salvation and for uh, life and godliness. So, that was, um, that was a fresh one because it was, it was the last thing, but it was also an an encouraging, an encouraging thing. So, yeah, we, we mentioned that briefly um, when we were talking about a previous episode of why we have four gospels that that example from john is is an example of the fact that the gospels are not written as strictly chronological or biographical accounts the way that we might think of those kind of works of literature today instead they're either thematic in purpose or they have a certain uh, theological uh, truth that they're trying to convey to us and you have that example in John. You have that example in Luke that his is a lot more uh, as an apologetic, or even if we want to think that, that Theophilus is not just a uh, type of person, but actually a, a an historical person. So it's a personal uh, written account, uh, one that by what Luke says uh, makes sense of why his seems to be more of an attempt to do a thorough historical treatment. Uh, the Old Testament citations in Matthew as as uh, written uh, to convince the Jewish community that this is the uh, predicted Christ, or Mark's that is somewhat of a uh, concise uh, uh, kind of action-packed gospel, that these are all examples of the fact of the, what you mentioned in John uh, of why we should read all four. Because they're not competing against each other for book length, or they're not competing against each other with necessarily how they arrange the material, but instead uh, they have a dedicated purpose. Uh, Sometimes it's more explicit, like with what John says, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can still see it even if it's not as explicit when we start to study. And then you have a more of an appreciation for all four as a result, I think. Um, Okay, so I just had... uh one other thing that I really wanted to, this is kind of a two-part, I guess, but maybe the first one is, um, what we haven't talked about yet, is maybe some uh, personal reflection of the way that you studied this book. Maybe some kind of recommendations you can make, and you can you can feel free, because the two-part question, uh, the... the the first one is what kind of study pattern did you use for this book uh, that we might benefit from? The second is uh, who has helped you the most to understand John's gospel? And I'm thinking there about uh, written commentaries or even people you know. So you can kind of answer it in two parts. And whenever I I think of that question, I know that you got 
such a variety of maybe the method that a that a pastor is going to use. Uh, like for you, like you've studied Greek, like you read uh, these passages in Greek to try to really deal with the original language. Not all pastors do that. I don't know Greek yet, so I don't do that. I, I try to, and my limitations. Uh, I think John MacArthur talks about whenever he's going to preach through a book, like he'll read it. Uh, I think once a day for like three weeks to get the big picture, and then he'll work through uh, a passage at a time, like while he's preaching through. There's so many different methods, uh, but maybe what's some that, uh, since I'm an advocate for reading uh, small and large sections and entire books, and mm-hmm. I talk about this all the time on the show with different kinds of Bibles and whatnot, uh, so really wide open for uh what you think might translate from uh, a pastor to uh, somebody that's not a pastor, but somebody that wants to uh, kind of approach the Bible in a serious way, uh, specific to John. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty simple when it comes to um, th- those sorts of patterns. Uh, certainly, uh, if anyone is in the ministry or seeking to go into the ministry, I'm not, I-, I don't believe my study habits are something to follow because they... They, uh, it's it's kind of all, all over the place. Um, sometimes I, I yeah I might be studying the sermon for an entire week, um, or even trying to get ahead. At other times, it might be uh, a day. You know, it might be a Monday or it might be a Friday that, <laughs> that I finally get to sit down and uh, and sort of crank it out. And uh, and so that also means that uh, that it's going to look different from time to time. But I think just generally speaking. We have so many resources with uh, with Bible publications, um, study Bibles uh, that are that are helpful. Um, uh, the ESV Study Bible or the uh, uh, the Reformation Study Bible. Um, I like the uh, the one that Reformation Heritage has, has put out in the last few years. Uh, the King James um, Reformation Study mm-hmm. Bible, I think, is what it's called. But they've they've got some thoughts for. Uh, uh, sort of devotional thoughts at the end of, of each chapter, and they actually pr- printed the, just those thoughts um, in a uh, in a separate book, so they could be helpful for personal or, or family worship. Um, so th- those are, are, are helpful things, but also just the way that the the paragraphs are, are laid out. It's not not always you know we, we don't always have chapter divisions that are um, so, sometimes they they don't uh, they 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 could be they could start and stop in better places i guess yeah, yeah. but for the most part they're they're super helpful and um the way a lot of our english bible translations are, are laid out they will break down sections paragraphs and give you a heading on what's going on there and i think uh if you're going to slow down um and, and there are different approaches of course to reading scripture um some folks read the bible in a year plan or or the bible over two years uh, i know others who are you know, maybe last year they they slowed down and just went through the book of Genesis, or maybe this year with the book of Psalms with a with a helpful commentary. Um, and uh, but if you're going to slow down and read through John's Gospel, those paragraph sections are, are probably just a very simple, helpful way to break down what to to look at. Um, what was the other part? You asked me something else. Uh, just in terms of uh, maybe commentaries or maybe just people you that you know personally so uh professors from seminary or anything like that or maybe other or other sermons that you listen to uh maybe from John or 
just yeah pretty, pretty wide open yeah I, I do i do like to um i do like to listen to the passages that i'm, I'm preaching on from people um sometimes just preachers i like but a, a lot of times people that i know um and uh i, I know i know there are pastors who, who don't like that and who would warn against that and I, I understand why uh because you run to the risk of preaching someone else's sermon um but even and i know there are uh you know at least in the southern baptist world there's uh, there's the concern of, of plagiarism uh currently and those that, that sort of discussion um and then i read you know in the middle of all that i read something online that, that an anglican had put out and it was like uh uh why are y'all still writing your own your own sermons? Don't you know about all these that have have, have been written before us? So, uh, so there's uh, that's a totally different end of the spectrum. Um, the danger is for a pastor is that whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, you know, I might I might be at my desk listening to a sermon. I might be on a run, and, and uh, I might sometimes I might write down what someone said. You know, if I want to quote them or, or you know try to give credit where, where credit is due. But uh, but even if I'm Say I'm on a run and and something sticks. Uh, I may not intentionally or even plan to to mention it. And sometimes those kind of things can even come out just un, unintentionally. And so you do run the risk of plagiarism. You run the risk of uh, and and sermons aren't academic treatises or, or papers. There, there is a, a different aspect to them. We still should give credit where credit is due. I think it was uh, Dale Moody who said I I, uh, I uh, milk a uh, milk a lot of cows, but I, I churn my own butter. <laughs> Um, and so there's a sense in which nothing we, we say is, is really original, but we do want to be careful that we are, um, uh, that we are actually doing the work and not, um, and not just, just regurgitating what someone else has said. Um, but the same is, is true. I, I kind of, so I view that as uh, sort of audio commentaries. And if you're, if you're going to slow down and, and go through John's gospel, um, then maybe finding a, a trusted, uh, a trusted pastor. Um, it would be a, a good good way. Listen to to his you know, sermon series on, on John. Um, would be a good way to help you work through that by way of application. And um, but as far as commentaries go, there's there's so many on on John from uh, the ancient uh, uh, ancient church. Um, I, I did read some of the. I've got a set of the ancient uh, ancient. Fathers or ancient commentary on on scripture or something like mm-hmm. that. I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of the series, but um, yeah, it's right behind me here. Um, but I don't have my glasses on, mm-hmm. so I don't, can you read it from here? Ancient Christian commentaries on scripture. There it is. Um, <laughs> so when we got into when you open up and you're you're reading the prologue um, uh, and those themes that we talked about with the incarnation and, and the eternality of, of uh, the Word. Um, what Athanasius or the Cappadocian fathers or what Augustine had to say on the mm-hmm. Trinity or on mm-hmm. Christ, I found that really helpful. As you go into uh, the medieval period, Thomas Aquinas. Um, I didn't get into Aquinas, but I heard he's got an excellent commentary on yeah, John. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, but I, I didn't. I can't read everything on it. But as far as, and then you've got the more, more modern exegetical commentary. So if you want to get into, um, you don't have to know the language, but if you want more of a, an explanation on, on the Greek text, uh, Don Carson, D.A. Carson's mm-hmm. commentary is good. Um, but I think, um, the, and I had a whole stack, you know, that I would refer to, and I don't always refer to uh, the same ones each week, just kind of depending on where I am and w- what I think is uh, needful or will be helpful as you get to know these authors a bit. 
Um, or if I'm, I'm in a particular uh, sticky passage and I, I need to, I need a little more help from somebody like D.A. Carson, you know, um, uh, you're going to have the various views on, on uh, uh, maybe something that's a bit problematic or uh, not problematic is not the word I'm looking for, but uh, a little debatable, mm-hmm. you know, on, on interpretation or something. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I would point out two that I found the most helpful. Um, one is uh, the Scottish Presbyterian George Hutchison. Um, I don't even know if it's in print anymore. We just happen to have a copy in our church library, and so uh, I was using it throughout. And it breaks it down into sections that are that are easy to uh, uh, kind of bite-sized chunks uh, to go through. Hutchison is very good. He's a Puritan. He's doctrinal. Um, there's going to be a lot of application there. Uh, but I, probably the most helpful one, I think, for um, just the person in the pew would be uh, J.C. Ryle, the, the Anglican bishop of the uh, uh, 19th century. Um, I like Ryle for a number of reasons, but his expository thoughts on the Gospels are, are really helpful. And his on John are, are good. And what he does is um, he'll take a, a small section, a small chunk, like you might find in your, uh, like a, a paragraph in the Bible uh, that's kind of broken down uh, with with a heading or something. But he'll he'll take that that chunk and he'll he'll lay out some lessons that are very um, devotional or uh, uh, sometimes they're doctrinal, but they're, they're, there's application there. And at least in the in the uh, version that I have. They're highlights, mm. highlighted or not highlighted, um, italicized, mm. and so you can um, you can flip through real quick and see the lessons real quickly that he points out. And if you want to read after that, the the way that he elaborates on that. Um, so if you're uh, if you're in a, in a pinch, you're in a hurry, uh, whether for yourself or if you're you know, going to lead your your children in devotions, and you you got to look you know look over something real quick and maybe can uh, give a little bit. Of, don't have a lot of time for meditation, but but um, that that can help you there. But then what he does is, after those thoughts, he goes into a verse-by-verse commentary, and it's apparent that he's read every every one who was available. Um, and it's not uh, it's not like deeply technical, but he just interacts with so many and, and tells you what different uh, people have thought about it. And, and um, so you've got kind of, a, in, in Ryle's commentary, you've got something very pastoral, very applicable, but also you can go deeper with it. Mm-hmm. So. Ryle's mm-hmm. probably where I would what I would recommend. I cool. Think. Yeah, if, if listeners have a hard time finding that, I do know that if you go to BibleHub.org, which is a website that I use a lot for sermon prep, uh, you can pull up commentaries on any passage that you type in. And J.C. Ryle's is, I don't know if it has uh, his entire work kind of plugged in there, but any time that I've tried to look up commentaries for a passage, uh, his comes up as an option, which so does Calvin and, and others. But yeah, his his are right there, and so that's a way you could actually find them for free. And so that's at BibleHub.org. Uh, well, I, I would say uh, just in closing, um, one thing that I always appreciate that you do, and uh, something that I don't always take advantage of, but it's something that I think is such a great idea, is just for listeners uh, that want to do better with. Uh, John's Gospel, or just any book of the Bible that your pastor is preaching through, and hopefully you do go to a church where your pastor is is dedicated to preaching through books of the Bible, uh, that what you do is you send out the newsletter uh, Friday before the upcoming Sunday, 
and we know what uh, passage you're going to be dealing with. Uh, so hopefully we at least know where we left off from the previous week, but we at least know how far you're going uh, in, in this upcoming sermon. And what that does is it gives us an opportunity to read and study that passage beforehand. If we're married, if we have a family, it gives us time to uh, have some conversations uh, in the house prior to Sunday morning. And what that does is it makes us better Listeners, it makes us not only better listeners to the preacher himself, but it makes us better listeners to uh, that text of scripture that's being preached, that's being uh, explained to us. Because we're not basically being uh, blindsided like when we come on Sunday. We're actually dealing with something that should be fresh. It should be almost an overflow of of what we're doing, and so that kind of thing. If if you're a pastor listening, if you're thinking about being a pastor, that's something that I would highly recommend you do because it's a great way to really uh, get the best uh, bang for your buck in terms of uh, dealing with a with a passage of scripture. And, and for us, it, it's been John uh, for quite a while, and so really thankful to have you on the on the show and and to uh, just share with us uh, just your reflections from uh, working through such an important book of the Bible. Uh, we probably have to say that about every book that's in the Bible, <laughs> but at least for John, one that's certainly been uh, uh, so uh, demonstrative in the lives of people throughout the, the centuries. And so, uh, any closing thoughts before we hang uh, this one up? No, my, my pleasure. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, we, we never can exhaust the riches that we find in God's Word, so keep digging. All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, thank you all for watching and listening, and have a great rest of your day.